Hello and welcome to the Care Home Option podcast series. I'm Gabriella Wills, your host, and with me as always is Drew Rice. Hello, Gabriella. Hello, everyone. And today we have a guest, Gabriella. We do. His name is Richard. And Richard is here to talk to us about his father, who is currently at home, but he spent a, no- a number of months in a care home. And Richard will tell us about the experience that he, his father, his mother, and the whole family experience in this journey. Richard, first of all, thank you for giving us your time and for being uh, prepared to share your experiences. Um, We will start maybe by you telling us a little bit about your dad. So dad, 79 years old, he spent most of his life, most of his working life in retail, managed a large shop, busy person, worked six days a week really committed to family life and, and everything else you'd, you'd expect from, from, from a parent. Um, and was in a really good position and was able to retire early. And really committed to, to family. Knew that when he was retiring, he was going to spend time with his grandchildren, picking the boys up from school, um, being around for the, the things that mum wanted to do um, as, as, as time allowed him to do. Dad lived with, di- with diabetes for over 40 years and, and lived with it well, insulin dependent, so it meant that had some impact on his lifestyle and, and what he was able to do, um, but made that work. Although there are complications when you've got diabetes for that amount of time, you lose pain sensation, you lose the knowledge of when a hypo is coming, so life was always a little bit on edge slightly for them, for mum and dad. Um, I think he'd gone to visit the dentist and he had a blackout came over a bit poorly, didn't quite know where he was. Um, managed to make his way home, actually. He's still driving at the time, managed to get home. So following all the GP visits, we went to go and see a cardiologist. That takes us through to January 2020. Um, and interestingly, that was on his birthday when he got the news that he needed a triple bypass. All happened very quickly. Um, and by the end of January, he was in a hospital having that surgery done and then he came through the operation came through the operation well and a couple of weeks later he was home and that takes us to March 20 when you then expect everything to happen around the aftercare physiotherapy nutritional guidance change your diet looking at at the diabetic nurse to see how we can improve his general diabetic care and then of course March 2020 was when the pandemic came which changed everything dramatically because he wasn't able to get the level of aftercare that we would have hoped for. The next thing that comes along is he gets a diagnosis of dementia as well, which was obviously a severe blow. And and it's very difficult for the whole family, but it's very difficult for my dad because he's aware of the diagnosis. And I think that became hugely challenging of where he could see his future panning out in front of him even though he didn't quite know what, what it might look like, but there's a, there's a fear and, and, a, and hugely frightening. Um, but again, he's a strong man, he's a strong person. He was getting on with life very nicely um, and then suffered a really bad fall. And it was actually Boxing Day um, just past where um, he fell at home. He really banged his head very hard on the wall. 
Um, and immediately mum called an ambulance, called us. And the ambulance crew were obviously very concerned for him when you bang your head as hard as he had um, to get him checked out suitably. So we went into, went into the local um, A&E and when I was undressing him to put the gown on, I noticed really bad bruising across his back as well, which I indicated to the doctors. They came to look and said, actually, that's more serious. We need to check that. Found that he'd broken his ribs and his back and were actually really worried about fluid on the lungs and, and everything developing from that. So blue lighted him to another, to a, a um, trauma hospital. And that became obviously really challenging. But he was there from December the 27th. Um, and shortly after they decided that medically there was nothing more they could do for him and he needed to be discharged. And that's where we started to then think about, was it the right thing for him to go home? Or was it the right thing for him to go into a level of respite care into a care home. Richard, could you share with our listeners what was the process of making the decisions between at home with his wife and the family nearby or going into a care home? Was it the physical condition? Was it the uh, dementia? both of them, and who was involved in those discussions and decisions between yourself and your family, your father, your mother? We initially considered home care, and we initially considered whether a, a suite of visits a day might be sufficient for Dad to come home. I think my mum had some really strong concerns about how would that work in reality she herself physically she's the same age as dad almost 80 um, had some concerns about if there was a level of care and support needed to dad after the carers had visited if we were out at work my children were at school if there wasn't somebody around to help what would happen and also because mum felt a very significant responsibility for if something went wrong how would that look now we were all really clear that you know life is full of risks and that challenges come to us all the time but mum felt very very responsible for dad and felt very responsible both physically and um, emotionally for him and she was quite clear in saying I'm really worried I won't be able to cope now that led us to talking to dad about what those next steps were and what the options were for him um, ahead when, as and when we were ready. But we thought it right to have the conversation with dad whilst he was in hospital at an earlier stage so that he would very much be part of those conversations. He was familiar actually with the home that he, he went to because actually we looked at that home for my grandfather um, it's in the community we live in um, he knows of people that have been in there before so he already had a frame of reference for it um, which helped and just a reminder his care needs so to speak was he did he need a lot of physical help or was the main concern that your mother had risks of if he falls or if he has a hypo or yes. if 
So following the fall, um, for the first time, because he'd never used any form of walking aid before, I mean, up until three months before the fall, he was driving. Yeah. Um, so this has been a very significant change, lifestyle change for, for everyone. Um, but following the fall, he was met by a physiotherapist in the hospital, told to use a Zimmer frame, um, which was a significant change mm. in itself, um, both from a lifestyle, physical, emotional, all sorts of things. Hospitals say he's medically fit and there's nothing more they can do for him on the 30th of December. He didn't leave the hospital until the 7th of January, okay. which incidentally, as I mentioned before, when he had his diagnosis for the double bypass was on his birthday. He also moved into the home exactly a year later on his birthday. There's a, oh. a real flag around that day for us. Um, so so it, it, he was in hospital for longer than he needed. And the other complication was we were in the middle of the Omicron variant and the hospital went into a lockdown period and did not allow visitors. So his general orientation was, was challenged by it. His dementia, I think, flared his confusion flared they were they he was in a ward on the 12th floor there were no curtains so he's looking out thinking he's up in the stars and his orientation was really was really messed about um so he he we were doing our our level best to try and get him out of hospital as quickly as we could but we were in the hands of others and and that that was a that was a difficult challenge and he agreed to go into the care home absolutely. at that time. Absolutely. He, he recognised that because of the changes in his physical needs, um, he was strapped up because of the break in his ribs yeah. across his chest. He was less able to do things mm. for himself. Um, he recognised, he also interestingly recognised around his dementia, that because his memory, he'd, he'd always managed his own insulin all of, for, for the 40 years that he'd had diabetes so far. Um, but because of his memory loss, he was worried that he might give himself his insulin twice in the same day. So he'd become dependent on nurses giving it to him. And for me, that was another marker in life, that somebody who had fiercely battled us all of the years saying, I know how to manage my diabetes. And we lived through some very dramatic hypos along the, throughout the years um, and, and circumstances and situations. But for somebody to now now saying, okay, it's beyond me, was a real marker for us. And we recognised that he was wanting. Now, of course, in the home environment, you can still get district nurses to come in and do it. You can still. But in that, in that initial discharge from hospital, we just felt that, and we all agreed, that the opportunity of residential care was actually going to be part of his, his rehab, if you like. Right. So... We know that he went into a care home, which, uh, from what you said, I believe has nurses as well. Yeah. But also knew how to care for people with dementia. Yeah. Um, it's very impressive um, that despite you know people perceive somebody with dementia not being able to make decisions for themselves, but of course. He was able to make that decision and you as a family enabled you him to to do that he was in a care home for how long? he went in in january he moved out in july so seven, seven months. months yeah we're not going to cover every day of the seven months but could you share 
what were the things that you and your mother as well as his his spouse what was good what worked really well for you as a family what you think worked for him mm-hmm. and of course anything that you felt maybe wasn't just as good as well either because of somebody didn't do something or yeah what were the okay. things that so again covid meant that the um the assessment process was done remotely which was you know again a little bit of a challenge the re- sorry is this the assessment by the care home or by, by, the, social... by the care home team yeah right by the admissions team right um in advance of him going in so they wanted to know about life and lifestyle and his nursing needs or his dementia yes. needs etc but one of the things that happened in advance of him going in was i got a call from the registered manager of the home to say tell me a bit about about your dad and then said to me actually i'm particularly thinking that he might be better in this particular area of the home because in one of the lounges it's actually mainly men that sit in that lounge they're men who are really good at having conversation they're men who like to get quite excited by some of the things on the television or by life or drama or the or the newspapers and actually that really helped because it meant that um there was an engagement quite quickly and they formed they formed a bond they fell out with each other they got back together again as friends but that's life and 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 i think that helped initially to um orientate that in into the home environment was that um he found his place quite quickly in there and I think if he'd have just been welcomed into the home and sort of said well where where do you want to sit yeah. and he'd have sat in the wrong place whatever the wrong place is that might have actually made life harder for him so I think the registered manager recognizing or engaging earlier on and realizing that it's, it it was comparatively a younger man than most people that go into into the home um, needed to be in the right place in the home and that, that helps so that assessment, which we have spoken in one of the episodes, um, is not just about the care needs and the home needing to know how they will care for the person, but really to try and get the best fit yeah. uh, for the person. And as you said, really helped. How was it for your mum? They were together how long before? So they married in 1965 and they've never spent a day apart, really. Um, she in in a sense there was a huge relief once a he was discharged from hospital he was in a hospital in central london he was in um or in in east in, in whitechapel um which meant she couldn't visit routinely before the lockdown situation and once the lockdown situation went in or the only communication they were having was by mobile phone and the challenge we faced then was that of course he had lost sense of time because being in, in, in the institution of a hospital, you don't really get a frame of reference to time. So he was calling whenever he was awake and it wasn't a great you know, circumstance. And I think she was thinking, is that, is that what's ahead of us? So I think going into care, going into a care environment, we all understand as a family that actually we'd much rather have really great interactions with dad without having to worry about the the nuances of the personal care and actually we're not that we're not that family that says 
we will do everything for him because actually we know our limitations both from time from capacity um and i think mum was really fearful that she was going to become the carer and that would impinge on the relationship so in a sense knowing that there is a, an environment out there that can support him that he was happy in was actually really positive and what she was able to do was to catch her breath and and actually living in in the in the home environment in her home environment in a more relaxed space knowing that he was being cared for and she was visiting daily and she was getting herself used to life as being a relative of somebody in a residential home actually worked really well that's really interesting and good to hear that it's not always a straight line it's there are very many factors and different for everybody uh, that in the end will make the experience an overall positive one mm. and people may have to give up something but they gain something else and again it may be very different for different individuals different families um, I'd tell us more things that worked and maybe things that worked less well um, so the home also supported with um, physiotherapy and there was through the local authority it was a physiotherapist visited for about three weeks um, it helped that enormously um, and, and they helped to engage that to happen um, I think there were other things that we, we the one thing I would say is you shouldn't make assumptions that the home will continue to do everything they need to do um, what was important for us was to build a relationship with the with the registered manager and the team leader of the unit of, mm. the, of the area he was in um, because it does need to be a constant dialogue they are looking after in that particular unit they're looking after 30 40 people and my dad was an individual in that area but he's also part of a large group and so you can't expect that it would be wrong i think to expect that totally individual service will come all of the time so building a relationship with the team leaders and the um, and the key workers is essential. It really does help. And when things go right, I think it's really important to say to the team that are supporting, supporting my dad was to say thank you to them. But when things weren't right, it, me it meant that we had the dialogue where I could say, hold on a minute, dad told me that this happened last night. He pushed the buzzer and nobody responded for about 15 minutes. And that left him very frustrated. What happened? And they were able to come back to me and say what the situation was or they were supporting someone else or that actually they had already been in two minutes before and that it was because he had an urge to go to the loo and they dealt with that with him and then 10 minutes later he'd done the same thing um, so understanding the context of that and i think hearing from both what my dad's needs are and my dad's frustrations but also understanding from the home that they were on it and they, there was some a good level of support going on is important um, there were a couple of things that got missed in his care along the way um, he had actually as a result of the very bad fall and the cut to his head was that the way it was healing actually started to become quite a, a challenging piece around the scar um, and eventually when we pushed the GP to ask what he thought of it he said well maybe you want to get that checked that might be skin cancer and that came as a bit of a shock. Fortunately, it wasn't. 
Um, there was a biopsy done. They said it might be precancerous, but good that you checked it early on. I think what what from what what I take away from that is that the home were doing a really great job at managing the diabetes, at managing the um, the personal care, but the kind of holistic piece and and the looking at the other things around it sometimes needed a bit of prompting, um, which I said once we did things kicked in but I think it was about staying on top of that for 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 us as a group um, and then the other challenge I suppose came when it was interesting the I mentioned the physiotherapist who came in and did some quite intense physiotherapy and what he actually said to dad was you've kind of gone as far as, as I can go with you you're, you're really on the path to healing and what my dad heard from that was in his in his own mind was well I'm here for respite to get over the broken ribs that I've got in my back and the damage to my head. The physiotherapist now said, I'm okay, I'm going home. Yeah. And it was only two or three weeks, three weeks into his stay in, in, in the home. So in his mind, he was then ready to go and we weren't. We hadn't made any adaptations to his home environment. We hadn't thought about our, what the next stage of care would be. Mum certainly wasn't ready for it. So it took a little while longer for us to, to work out what the next steps were. And what were they? You said he went home in July. Yeah. He's home now and he's... So he is currently at home. He came home um, and we made the decision to bring a living carer in. They live in a bungalow. It, it does. It is a two-bedroom bungalow. Mum was very concerned about having a, another person living in the house. Since I moved out when I got married 25 years ago... No one else had lived with them. And not in a bungalow, and you were in the, in in the in big house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how would that work? And they've got one bathroom and, you know, etc. So th there was there were some lifestyle concerns for that. But what was really clear was that Dad was saying, and he has the capacity, even though he has a level of dementia, he wanted to come home. And he was able to, when we were talking to him about... Remember, you had a really nasty fall last time, and these are the risks and it will be hard for mum and he said I know but there are other things you can do you can put in carers for me and he was able to articulate what he thought that meant and I know that um, he genuinely wanted to be back at home so he's been at home now um, since since July so it's probably six weeks unfortunately he had a really bad fall again um, probably two weeks ago we were on holiday, we were out of the country. Um, but what we had done when he came home from, from the residential home was we we got him to the point of understanding a living carer was essential and mum to understand a living carer was essential. Um, the first carer didn't work out so well, didn't bond with my parents at all. It wasn't a great relationship and, and I was worried that that was the, the kind of, you know, if that doesn't work, What's, you know, where are we heading? We're probably heading back to residential again. But we changed carers and somebody amazing joined the family and she's been fantastic and continues to be. But dad had a really nasty fall two weeks ago and broke his shoulder and, and his arm, his humerus. Um, and, that, and it's his right arm and that's completely incapacitated him because he can't wait bare, he can't stand mm. unaided. Um, and again, we looked at what the different options were. And I think mum's initial response was, he'll have to go back into care. And he said, I'm not going back. 
we've had good support from social workers who have helped him to again weigh up the risks and what's happening and we also have really good support from the community health team from the local authority or from the NHS actually who have been in and out regularly and they have provided him with a hospital bed a floor a floor bed so he the risk of him falling out so it's a motorized bed that will take him up and down um, a standing reclining chair that again assists we went through a few rocky days with the carer saying look I'm physically lifting him he can't wait bare he can't use a Zimmer frame because he can't put his arm mm. on it he can't use the pod stick because when he leans on it, it tips. Um, so we went through a few rocky days. The community health team have been really good at providing us with other equipment. But Dad's not sleeping through at night. And that's leading us to the point of, well, the, the carer and mum are up all night with him. Um, and he's becoming very frustrated, very agitated. My dad is not an aggressive person and never has been. In fact, he... When I was growing up, if I was difficult or if I was being a typical teenager, the phrase he used to use was, you could spit in my eye and I'd swear it's raining. He always wanted to, <laughs> you know, to, to see the best. And he's, he's losing that, that, mm. that thinking at the moment. So actually just today, um, we had a visit from the OT booked and I went, o- went over to see them early this morning. And mum's not in a great, great place. She's mm. exhausted. The carer is also very, very tired. She has been amazing and probably gone over and above. And I chatted to dad and I said, look look where we are. And he's telling me, you know, mum's been amazing, but she shouldn't be doing what she's doing. I'm a burden. Mm. Um, And and I said, well, do you want to think about going back to the home you were in before for a little while, while your arm heals? Is this the right opportunity to think about that? And he, without really thinking, said, yes, I think it is. And we've had a, quite a bit of a, a long morning. An OT was visiting anyway. We wanted to look at how he was standing, what if he was staying at home, what, what would be the options. And we had a further conversation after the OT left, and I talked to him about the home that he went to last time, just reminded him the conversation this morning. Is that the home you'd like to go to? Do you want to look at some others? I'm sure that you know there, there will be others equally as good. And he said, no, I really like the chaps that I sat with last time. <laughs> I've got really good memories of it. One of the nurses was really good to me. So let's let's think it through again. And we're now back on the journey of looking at respite funding, looking at the local authority to, to help with that. Um, they've used a lot of their savings on care so far. Um, so we're in the position now of, of looking for, for funding for him. But he's ready and willing to go back. Um, in his... In his conversations today, he he's he wants us to think about it as as a short term option while his arm heals. I think in his head, he's probably not saying it out loud, but I think he thinks that it may be long more longer term than that. But I think that's stage by stage, really. But what we proved is that by him coming home for these last six weeks and finding, I mean, if he hadn't had this nasty fall, I don't think we'd be in this position. But there are things we can do while he's at home. The only thing we're, we're really struggling with now is he's not sleeping through. He's agitated when he's awake at night. Therefore, everyone else is up. Yeah. Um, and he's he's got to the point of now saying, let me go back in. So we're just in the process of trying. So it's really interesting that today we're talking because we're just in the process of, of, of trying to organise that now. It's quite amazing. Um, you covered or... Know, validated or 
or brought examples of so many things that we covered throughout the series. Alternatives to care homes, mm. you know, such as home care. Um, actually, we never spoke about it, but this gives example about it doesn't have to be one or the other 100%. There is a way of um, mixing and matching whatever fits the situation. And, and we had considered, by the way, this week we, we were considering a carer during the day and then a waking night carer, a different carer who would be in to support dad. But it's a very small environment they live in. Dad's bed is now in the lounge area, which I think is frustrating him. You sleep in your bedroom, you don't sleep in the lounge. Mum is a bit frustrated that there's a hospital bed in their lounge. Um, not that that's stopping us, stopping him being there. Um, but even with a waking night carer, mum would still be awake at the point where dad's saying to the carer, I'm really frustrated that I'm in this position because you can't sleep through that, especially if you're a light sleeper. So it would have been another option. I think it would have been a more expensive option. But I, but for us, the primary issue was always around what works best. And I think what we try to do all the way through is think this through a bit more holistically as a family. Yeah. So, you know, there are dad's care needs, there's mum's care needs. And I know that dad's care needs effectively kind of trump everything. When he says, I want to leave the residential home and he's got capacity, he's the one who, who's, who's that decision maker. And mum's kind of saying, well, can we think about where I am in this and what that means for me? We've done everything we can, I think, to have got ourselves to that position yeah. so far. So yeah, uh, carer fatigue, carer exhaustion yeah. um, has to be taken into consideration because like you said, there are two people and her needs and rights cannot be waived for his rights and needs. It seems to me that you and the family have really dealt with it in an amazing way, including him, uh, to enable him to make decisions. And he's open enough and is able enough to understand that mm. others are, there, there are implications for others. And again, what his decision, the best decision for everybody needs to be. So thank you for sharing all that. I would like to ask you, you mentioned um, to me before that you are an only child. Mm -hmm. uh, your parents are close to 80. You have your own children and family. How has this experience of the last one or two years actually, how, what is your emotional journey? I suppose I can't compare it I can't say to you what it would have been like if I had brothers and sisters because I've always I don't know any different. But everything but is on you. But I think I think it it weighs very heavy. I think Mum looks to me to say, "What now?" And you know, in my work life, I make decisions. I make difficult decisions. But interestingly, I have people around me. I, you know, I have people I would share with and I would seek guidance with. Um, but I think there, you know, there is a. There is a responsibility, and I don't have a, a, a sibling to share that with. Um, which is probably, you know, I think that in a sense has helped me to ensure that Dad's really part of these conversations, mm. um, because I want him to be, you know, to only what's going on for his future. But you know, at three o'clock in the morning last Friday night, when Mum rang me to say he's up, 
he's very agitated. He was hallucinating because of the drugs they'd given him post the break in his arm. Um, you need to come over. And we went over and she said, what do you do now? I don't know, actually. Yeah. I think it's okay to say, I don't know. And I, I said, so actually I need 10 minutes to myself just to think before we knee jerk into something. Um, and, and to take time and space to, to do what you need to do. Um, so I think that that's a, I can't make a comparative answer to say if, if there were others in the family. My wife and I would talk about it quite a lot. My mum less so because I think she's, she's heavily affected by a lot of the decisions yeah. um, and doesn't necessarily want to say he needs to be in a home. I think she was waiting for me to do that. Um, and the sense of relief on her face this morning when I said to Dad, okay, you've just told me how, how much you're worried about Mum. Is, the next, is, the, is, is this the opportunity to think about going back to the home for a little while? She's been waiting, I think, for a while. But that's, you know, you get caught in a bit of a roller coaster with this, mm. you know, with, with the, 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 the care that is being supplied by the NHS, the care that's coming from the GP, the district nurses. You kind of go on a journey of them saying, well, we think the next thing for you to try is this and the next thing for you to try is that. And actually, at some point, I think you've got to, you've got to feel confident enough to say, it's enough now. Dad feels ready. Mum is exhausted. We've now got to do what we think is right. And and sometimes what the professionals are telling you is to do with their professional training and their what they believe is in the best interests of everybody. But actually, you as a family in the end know what is right. what is right. And you've got to feel that. And you've got to feel um, the time is right for for them. And I don't feel we've made a negative decision by there's always in quotation somebody says oh you've put your parents you'll put your dad in a home i don't th i don't see it like that i think we're making use of the care environment and actually it means that the the times my mum goes to see him will hopefully be not stressful they won't be around personal care they will be around what have you done today shall we watch this together shall we read the paper together we haven't done the crossword this week those types of things which have gone because everything is around have you tested your blood sugar do we need to think about your your inco pad do we need all of those different things that have suddenly taken over life and have ceased to become the, the family environment that it that it was um so actually making use of a care environment in whatever sense you choose to make yeah. it in the end will be the right decision you just got to feel confident with it yeah I think that every possible route, as I said, other than having a waking night carer, yeah. would have has been explored. And I think he's got to that point now of saying, there's nothing more you can do for me at home that's not becoming negative. Yeah. Let's, let's go back to that environment. So I think, I feel, I don't feel great about him being in residential care, but I feel more reassured that he quite happily, there was no coaching needed or no coaxing needed this morning yeah. in that conversation. He quite happily said, it's the right thing to do. That's important. Richard, in all those occasions when you considered uh, your dad going into a care home, including now you're facing, what route, what do you do first? Who do you call? Who is there to help to make those arrangements? 
So actually, we've been quite fortunate. We, I found it. I've I've not found it easy to navigate the local authority systems. It sometimes can be a little cumbersome to do and frustrating when you're looking for a level of urgency. I actually took a slightly different route, which was to speak to um, a charity, older people's charity, that have social workers who act as advocates within within their their service. Um, and they have continued to work closely with me, supporting us as a family since Dad's come home with things like incontinence nurses and getting the district nurses to visit at the right time. And they've done taken a lot of that burden away from the family. Um, so I spoke to them today and said, um, I now need some help in trying to access the funding to get Dad into respite. Um, and what are the next steps for us? So they have actually been in touch with the local authority and it has helped having a professional, a social worker, who has a direct line and, a, and an understanding of the of how to navigate the system. Um, so that, again, they've taken a lot of that off of us in doing that. So again, we've been focused on, on, on my parents, focused on what life is like at home. And in the background, we've got people who are coming back to us, phoning us and saying, I've spoken to this social worker at the local authority. We can expect this to happen. They, they'll email you the funding forms. You need to fill them in as quickly as possible um, and, and the relevant information and just helping to navigate. So there is, there is definitely help out there that isn't always just through the, the local authority system. And other organisations will have that sort of guidance and, and um, support in... in what are the tips and tricks to navigate? Okay, very useful and uh, interesting. And Richard, uh, just before we finish, if there is anything else that you want to add again, there hopefully will lots of people listening out there. And what what advice? What what will you tell them from your experience? Take away. I think you've touched on it a few times. It's always, well, putting both my parents at the centre of this has been important. But ultimately, it's, it's Dad that has to live the life that he's got ahead of him. And he's the one who's got to be really central to that decision making. But in the end, it, it's not just him. And, and, and hearing mum and hearing, you know, taking her on that. It sounds very kitsch to say taking somebody on that journey, but we were on that. We were on that that sort of flow as as we were going, um, and then recognizing when it's gone as far as it can go. Um, has been really, you know, it's a tough place to be, um, and even today when Dad said to me, "Okay, I'm ready," I then sort of had to step outside and just stand on the front drive for a couple of minutes and just catch my own breath because. You know that is quite a dramatic next step, um, but in the end, you've always got to believe in the fact that it's the right thing to do for them and for him. Um, and if if you believe that and and you're confident in the home that you've chosen and you're confident in the people that are supporting them, then it's the right decision. And going into a care home, I think I was really struck by what you emphasised about the importance of building a relationship with a team, not just the manager, but really the people on the ground who are looking after your... You have, to trust, you have to trust everyone who's looking after, after your, 
your loved one. You have to work, you have to understand the work that they do is really tough. I know from just hearing what my mum's been saying, how challenging it will be to look after my dad when he's frustrated. Yeah. So I know that those staff have got to do their best to, to make sure he's well and he won't be easy and life won't be easy for him and he won't be easy for them. But knowing that they're supported and respected, I think is really important. Knowing that the housekeeping team who are looking after you know, the, the, the space that, that people live in are respected and, and looked after is equally as important. I think you've got to look at everyone who's in the environment as part of that bigger picture it is crucial that's a lovely note to finish on thank you richard drew richard thank you you've given us a very personal account of your experience and um all the best to you and your mum and dad thank you it's uh, as i said it's it's been an interesting and timely conversation to have given <laughs> how um how live everything is today but but thank you for the good wishes and thank you for the opportunity to share well gabriella what are we going to talk about in our next episode we will talk about end of life death is an event that we all know is coming but probably a subject that most of us try not to talk about plan for and we will try and bring it um, into the open so that people can prepare and make it as good an experience as it can be. Until then, goodbye everyone. Goodbye. <laughs>